Today, we're going to talk about the end of an impossible story, except it's true. So try to put yourself in this impossible scenario by picturing this. You're approaching your 60s and you kind of feel antsy to do something new with yourself. You've worked hard for a lot of years. You've had a successful career, you have a nice home and great friends. And so you start thinking about the stuff you always thought would be cool to do, but you just hadn't gotten around to. So naturally, what pops into your mind? Right, of course, it's that pesky 100 mile swim from Cuba to Florida that you kind of tried that one time, but it just didn't really work out. So you figure it might be kind of cool to take a stab at it again. But after you ultimately raise a lot of money, put together a team of dozens of experts, dedicate years of your life to training, and then almost get killed by box jellyfish, people around you commend your incredible effort, but feel like it's maybe just time for you to move on. And so you're at a crossroads. Do you cut your losses and let your past failures serve as proof that it just can't be done? Or do you give your failures the finger and jump back into the water again? Diana Nyad did the latter. I'm Kristen, and this is Broadly Underestimated, the podcast dedicated to understanding the underestimated aspects of our lives. Every object, institution, historical event, even the most mundane, has its own revolutionary story. And it's often the underestimated women behind those stories that have shaped life as we know it today. I first learned about Diana Nyad a few years ago, and it really didn't take long for me to fall into a mildly obsessive rabbit hole. Something about her passion, her conviction, and her age while attempting this superhuman thing of swimming from Cuba to Florida just took me in. And as I looked into her story and started to peel back its layers, I was awed every step of the way. Admittedly, I didn't know a ton about endurance sports at the time, but she was doing things I didn't even realize were possible. Now, in the previous episode of this series, we focused on the mountain of physical, logistical, and medical challenges that Diana faced when trying to complete this swim the first four times. Sharks box jellyfish that almost killed her more than once, a tropical storm that put her life in danger, and ocean currents that pushed her hopelessly off course. But as I uncovered layer after layer of Diana's story, it was actually the mental aspect of this swim that captivated me the most. In general, your state of mind is the key to weathering the hardest, the most painful, and the most threatening obstacles. And after so many years out of the water, Diana had brought her body to the point to withstand four and 15 and 24 hour swims. Now, building the physical strength and endurance to do this, while stunning, was something I could wrap my mind around. But the mental strength to handle the staggering fatigue, the pain, the isolation in the water, the anaphylactic shock of the jellyfish stings, that was something else. So let's talk about the headspace that a nonstop 50-hour swim requires. To do something like this successfully, you have to have complete command of your mind. The sensory deprivation alone is enough to send any human being to a fragile mental place given enough time. So Diana has said that when she's on long swims, she primarily is in her own world. Swimming like that is really a lot like being in solitary confinement, so you sink into your own thoughts. When Diana gets into a groove, she's reflecting and dreaming, but she does have a few tricks that help her keep her mind busy through the isolation hour after hour. So listen to this. Her first trick is to count in rhythm with her strokes. She'll count to 1,000 in English, then to 2,000 in German, then to 3,000 in Spanish, and then finally to 4,000 in French. That is some serious Count von Count Sesame Street action, but hey, it seems to help her. 
Now, her second trick is to sing in her head. Diana has this mental playlist of about 85 songs that she'll run through. So hour after hour, she's swimming to her own personal soundtrack. And the songs also help her keep track of time in a way. For example, she knows that if she sings No Reply 1,000 times in a row, she has been going for exactly 9 hours and 45 minutes. So by the way, the previous episode about Diana was approximately 12.7 No Replies long, if that helps you get through. I get it, it doesn't have quite the same ring, but what are you going to do? Now, Diana's third trick is really more of a skill, and that is mental conditioning. As evidenced by her repeated willingness to put herself through and withstand torture in pursuit of her goal, as if it were just a regular Tuesday, Diana has a will of iron. But that will also comes with the kind of mental toughness that I find fascinating. When you're doing something as epic as swimming from Cuba to Florida, your mind is the only thing you can control when you're swimming among sharks and jellyfish and currents. So to keep her head in a productive space, Diana would have to temper her fears, anxieties, and stresses both before the swim and as they happen so that she wouldn't reach an emotional point of no return. As I mentioned in the previous episode, Diana's brain has been studied because of her astounding ability to keep her cool under pressure. As it turns out, she actually prepares herself mentally beforehand for pain and setbacks and stress. That way, once those challenging things inevitably happen, she's already mentally processed what that might mean for her and is already looking beyond it for the next steps. We saw this happen when she was paralyzed and hyperventilating from the box jellyfish sting, but simultaneously treading water and having conversations about what she could put on to protect herself from the jellyfish when she continued. So while she's a powerhouse externally, she's really Yoda internally. So after those failed attempts when Diana was stung by the box jellyfish, it was clear those jellies were a force to be reckoned with. They had already shut down one attempt and Diana didn't want them to be the cause of another failure. So what do you do when you have a nagging problem like this that's getting in the way of your dream? You science the crap out of it. So first step, you bring on box jellyfish goddess, Dr. Angel Yanagihara. Angel is the world's foremost expert on box jellyfish. She was actually stung by box jellyfish when she swam into a group of them the year she was getting her PhD. She began to feel burning in her neck and arms, and then she could feel her lungs collapsing. She was 500 meters offshore, and paralysis was settling in. She had the presence of mind to tap into a breathing technique she learned for childbirth and somehow made it back to shore. For the next three days, she stayed in bed because of the pain. But once she recovered, instead of being afraid of what had almost killed her, she wanted to know more. So at Diana's request, Angel began working on a protective method called a sting stopper, which is a sort of gel that can be rubbed on the skin and that will ultimately stop the box jelly's stinging mechanism from working. And this is where we get to see, yet again, how cool this woman is. The way that Angel tested to see if this gel worked was to put a live box jellyfish on one bare arm as a control. Yeah, you heard me correctly. She stung herself with a box jellyfish on purpose. She said that the result was predictably horrible, but then she spread the sting stopper on the other arm and laid a box jellyfish on top of it. And the moment of truth? Nothing happened. The jellyfish wasn't able to sting her. So I feel like this moment deserves some recognition for both guts and scientific prowess. Snaps for the doctor. Now, this advance was awesome and helpful, but realistically, Diana was going to need an even stronger barrier to protect her from the jellyfish for those long hours of night swims. So now that the jellyfish whisperer had worked her magic, Diana needed a supersuit. 
Diana had begun working with other scientists to develop a new stingproof suit. The group of scientists she began working with would send fabric samples to Angel in Hawaii, where she would then test them against live box jellyfish stings. Eventually, Diana had a full body suit and gloves to protect her. But one big thing was still missing. She still had that pesky problem with the box jellyfish trying to kiss her. As we saw in Diana's most recent attempt, simply putting on a sort of swimming ski mask wasn't going to cut it. On past swims, she'd come prepared with a mask that covered her whole head and neck and only left her lips exposed. But of course, the box jellyfish, being the experts that they are, weaseled their way in, found the only exposed skin, and stung her on the lips. So the answer was clear. She was going to need her own Darth Vader helmet. So for a year, Diana worked with a prosthetist to create a jellyfish-proof mask. The mask was molded to her face, and its only opening was a slit at her mouth. It was essentially like a ski mask that would go over her whole head and neck to protect every inch. But the tricky part was finding a way for her to be able to open her mouth to breathe every few seconds while protecting her lips and the inside of her mouth at the same time. So they got an orthodontist to design a retainer that would allow Diana to open her mouth as she lifted her head out of the water to breathe. But she would then have to quickly close her mouth again before putting her face back in the water, because just a second in the water with her mouth open was all it would take for a tentacle to find its way in. And then, game over. So 50 times per minute, she had to concentrate on lifting her head out of the water, opening her mouth and by extension the gap in the mask using the retainer, then quickly clamping her mouth shut before she put her face back in the water. Over time, the mask dug deep lacerations on the inside of her mouth, which had to be loads of fun, being that she was immersed in salt water. It also caused her to ingest more seawater than she normally would have, which caused even more dehydration and upset to her stomach. On top of this, swimming in any kind of protective gear adds resistance and therefore multiplies the effort needed to glide through the water. The mask simply slowed her down, and after double-digit hours in the water, the extra effort can feel exponential. So the mask had the intended effect of protecting Diana from the box jellyfish, but it wasn't without negative consequences. It's just that the benefits still outweigh the drawbacks. So let's recap our swim inventory so far. Entertainment? Check. Mental strength of an ox? Check, check. Jellyfish whisperer? Check. Supersuit? Check. Darth Vader helmet? Check. She was ready to get the show on the road. So on August 31st, 2013, Diana jumped into the water off the Havana shore once more, and this time her motto was, find a way. She was prepared to push through anything to complete this swim. She had also informed her team that they would not stop the swim for any storms as they had in the past. She was determined to find her way from Cuba to Florida, no matter what. So the swim began smoothly, but since this wasn't Diana's first rodeo, she knew what was out there waiting for her. And while that can make the preparations easier, the anticipation has to add some stress. It's like watching a horror movie knowing that the jump scare is coming. The knowing is what makes the actual moment more painful and more terrifying. It's the anticipation that gets you. So Diana worked for the first portion of the swim to settle into her rhythm. Once this happened, time and space began to feel relative. Then add the fact that eventually her body was reserving necessary resources for just the organs that would keep her alive. And that's when the mind starts to play tricks. And it's this headspace of combined sensory and physical deprivation that bought Diana a front row seat to the seven dwarfs marching down the yellow brick road in the ocean below her. That's right, she got a visit from the seven dwarfs somewhere in the patch of ocean between Cuba and Florida. 
Now, after the fact, Diana said that watching the Seven Dwarfs for a few hours actually helped her. It must have given her something to think about for a blip of the 50 hours she would ultimately be in the water. And later on, she also hallucinated the Taj Mahal in the middle of the ocean. She just thought she had gotten way off course. However, Bonnie, being the fantastic head handler that she was, just told Diana to swim around it. No big deal. Now, I just want to give a quick shout out to Bonnie Stoll, who is pretty much who many of us would like to be like when we grow up. She was a racquetball superstar in her earlier years and later a successful personal trainer to the rich and famous, but her understanding of and loyalty to her friend Diana is a beautiful thing. And Bonnie is clearly the best person to be at Diana's side on these attempts. But the first night was really difficult. The winds kicked up, making Diana drink more salt water than normal. She had to kick harder to keep her head above the water, and she was vomiting, which is a side effect of ingesting seawater, into her mask. But she pressed on, and the good news is that the mask and the suit were doing their job. Box jellyfish didn't stop her that night. She kept swimming steadily through the next day, and by the second night, she had been swimming for 40 hours. Now, on that second night, it actually wasn't the jellyfish that got to Diana. It was delirium. During that night, she had reached the point where her body was so deprived that she actually forgot what she was doing. Now, they sort of had a team rule on these attempts that they would never tell Diana exactly how far along they were in the journey. So many things could happen along the way, and trying to measure effort based on a hopeful distance to the shore could easily backfire. So Diana kept swimming without knowing exactly how far she was from the shore. But when she began to lose her mental bearings and was forgetting what exactly she was doing out there in the middle of the ocean on that second night, Bonnie told her to take her goggles off and look out at the horizon. There were lights. Diana thought it was the sun, but Bonnie said no. Those are the lights of Key West. Once Diana had seen those lights, nothing could get in her way. She continued on into the morning, and on September 2nd, 2013, at almost 2 p.m., Diana emerged from the water and waded toward the Florida shore. After almost 53 hours of swimming, a sea of spectators had gathered to watch as she staggered toward the sand. Organizers circled Diana to keep the excited spectators crowding around her at bay. If any one of them touched her before she was completely out of the water, it would invalidate the classification she had swum for almost 53 hours straight to achieve. As she transitioned out of the water and fully onto the dry sand, her best friend Bonnie grabbed Diana in both arms to signal that it was over. After five attempts and more than 30 years of holding on to this dream, it was done. She'd made it. She was exhausted, swollen from the salt water, and she had deep gashes in the corners of her mouth from holding the jellyfish mask in place. Because of her extreme fatigue, the sores in her mouth, and the salt water that scratched her throat, she struggled to speak. But at that moment, she had three messages. One, you should never give up. Two, you never are too old to chase your dreams. And three, it looks like a solitary sport, but it's a team. Mic drop. And just like that, Diana Nyad showed us all how to believe in ourselves, even if others think we're crazy. That we should never let the idea of age hold us back from doing what we want to do. And that surrounding ourselves with other people who can see the big picture and who want to help propel us forward is one of the keys to success. Hearing a story like this rightfully pushes us to consider what unrealized dreams we're capable of reaching. So, as Diana often does, I want to pose a question to you in the form of a quote by American poet Mary Oliver, who says, Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life?
And now it's time for a segment I call The Stacks. Doing research is one of my favorite things to do. The more you learn, the more the puzzle pieces of the world start to come together. So I want to take you into the stacks of the library with me to share favorites of the books, documentaries, movies, interviews that I think you would enjoy if you want to learn more about this topic. There are so many incredible resources out there about Diana Nyad, but my top two favorites are Diana's memoir, Find a Way, and the documentary, The Other Shore. Find a Way is Diana's account of her life from childhood through swimming from Cuba to Florida. She shares the nitty-gritty details of planning, training, and carrying out many of the epic swims of her career. And she gives such amazing insight into how a person can take the seed of a dream, nurture it with time, determination, and will, and then follow through on a decision to never give up, no matter what. One of the draws to people who accomplish great things is the desire to understand how they did it. And Diana's memoir shows us her roadmap to victory. Another note on Find a Way is that I highly recommend the audiobook. Diana reads it and she has such an amazing expressive voice. And it's so inspiring to hear her story in her own voice. I also did want to share a trigger warning about this book. Diana experienced sexual abuse as a child and does share some of those details. Now, the documentary The Other Shore actually follows Diana on some of her attempts to swim from Cuba to Florida. It includes startling footage of her encounters with box jellyfish, but also gives such a full sense of what this endeavor looked like, from training to assembling a team to actually swimming in the open ocean for hours on end. So if you'd like to see some of what Diana did with your own eyes, I highly recommend watching The Other Shore. Thanks so much for listening. Please be sure to rate and review the podcast and connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Woman in Time. And we'll see you next time on Broadly Underestimated. <laughs>